Hello and welcome to Nato. Today's guest is Izzy City. She's an actress who you may have seen in Peep Show, Shameless and Man Down. She's also been doing stand-up comedy for 19 years, often using music as a form of storytelling in her act. Izzy has just released her first novel, called Jane is Trying, but we began the interview by discussing her podcast, The Things We Do For Love. I'd like to obviously talk to you about your new book, but first I would like to talk to you about your own podcast. How did you come up with the concept for that? I've just always really been interested in... um... I suppose, like relationships and kind of romance and like the silly things that we do for love, basically. Um, So at first I just got my friends to do it, like other comedian friends. And um, it was really fun and we did it in front of an audience. And then we had some more booked in, but it was COVID. So we did them on Zoom, which we're all a bit more used to now, aren't we? And um, it kind of brought out slightly different things because the audience wasn't there. And... um, we we really enjoyed doing them and we'll make more but yeah i don't know i've just always really been interested in in love i suppose also you can get really funny stories out of disastrous dates and stuff of course yeah and that was quite interesting what you said there about the fact that people are more open without having the audience there is that something that you've found so far yeah i think so i think with the audience there because i they've all been comics apart from patterson joseph yeah who is very funny but he's an actor and a writer mm-hmm. rather than a comic and i think comedians instincts when the audience is there even if there were sometimes more serious bits is to kind of get to the next laugh mm-hmm. whereas um without the audience there you can afford to go perhaps a little bit deeper into those more kind of yeah serious or or heartfelt moments without looking for when's the next laugh going to be because it's kind of like just so instilled in us to be like okay we can have this bit but then when yes. when is it going to be <laughs> yeah what's one of the craziest things that you've done for love in the past oh my gosh I've got a really long list well I talk about this on the podcast but I made a penguin for someone um that I was going out with because mm. he really loved penguins and we'd seen this penguin at London Zoo who was like really cute so I made a penguin for him as I thought a really nice present for either Christmas or birthday I think it was for Christmas and it took months and months and it was really big in the end and I could tell he didn't really want it so and actually I've I've really like over the past few years I've been like I wonder if he's still because he was left in an attic mm-hmm. in South London and I'm like is he still there could I rescue him and give him to my kids because I think they'd really love him do you have a favorite guest that you've had on you mentioned you've had a lot of your friends on but is there someone in particular that stood out as, as a favorite episode I don't I to be honest all of them were so brilliant there were definitely moments I remember from each one that um that kind of stay with me so with Jess Foster Q it was we just had a really great quite serious chat about how complicated relationships can be especially when you're younger um with Alan Davis he talks about how moved he was seeing a play about HIV and how it kind of changed his life and that was brilliant and with Patterson we talked about how love is really kindness and so with each one, there were just so many, there's just like one moment that sticks out to me from each one, because also it's interesting because a lot of them are my friends and a lot of them are close to me. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes you think, you know, your friends love lives really well, but then things come out that you don't know. And that's really exciting. You mentioned Patterson there. He's been on this podcast before as well. And he's just such a lovely, lovely, lovely he really man. Is. He's so intelligent as well, isn't he? I just sort of feel like 
he's such a thinker he's yes. yeah he's great Definitely. such a broad mind and with that being said I would like to talk a little bit about Peep Show and you worked alongside him in that as well as with David Mitchell and Robert Webb what was it like to work with those guys so extensively right I mean you know we we I think it was I think sometimes it was commissioned for like two series at a time, but we never knew it would run as long as it did. So I never knew that I'd be working with them so much, if that makes sense. But it was always lovely. And, um, you know, I had a lot of scenes with David and we got on very well. They were all really welcoming to me and Olivia Coleman as well, who I didn't have very much stuff with at all. But I remember her being lovely to me when I joined. So it was nice to join a really established show that was already I know, you know, some people can't get over the camera angle thing and just are just mm-hmm. like, it's too much. But fans of it who love it really do love it. Mm-hmm. And do you get many fans approaching you in the in the street asking you to say certain lines or anything like that? Yeah, sometimes, especially if I go out in East London, um, there seems to be a lot of Peep Show fans around there. So I don't ever mind. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Do you have a favourite Dobby line or scene from the show? Um. There are so many, really. I mean, I like, I do like Jeff's doing a joke, and that was very early on. Perhaps it'd be better if you left the self-harming for the weekend, mate. <laughs> Jeff's doing a joke. Jeff's doing a joke. Everybody quiet, cause Jeff's doing a joke. They're, they're very similar in their sensibilities, I find, uh, Dobby and Marcus' characters, which is good. Um, yeah. I wonder what would have happened with both of them. I feel like we'd probably all be up for a reunion, like the Friends reunion, um, maybe in like 20 years when we're all on our third marriage and need to raise money to give to <laughs> Hi, Mark. Nice to see you. Dobby, likewise. There's meant to be a bunch of USB sticks here, but... God, there's an atmosphere. Sexual tension or just misfits scared of sexual tension. So you're an actress, you're a comedian, and now an author as well. I was wondering which of these art forms came first. Was there a a certain art form that you were more passionate about when you were younger? When I was younger, I wanted to be an actress, but I also wrote sketches and songs and things. Um, But I didn't really understand that that could be a career. I understood that acting could be a career, but I I didn't really watch much stand-up or think that I could necessarily do that it didn't seem like a viable thing and then when I went to drama school I was still writing the songs and used to perform them and stuff and that was really fun getting laughs for songs that I'd written so then the it, the two just sort of merged songwriting and acting then that turned into stand-up and acting and writing well when you're writing stand-up you're writing anyway so it all seems to have come about quite organically but if you'd asked me when I was like seven I would have said I want to be an actress that was always the plan there was never any deviation I wanted to be a tennis player for like two weeks when I got into Wimbledon and I realized I couldn't play tennis so yeah yeah so so acting and comedy were the ones to go with was there anybody that inspired you to to merge the music and the comedy or was it just something that you felt that you were kind of a natural at both so you thought you would try blending the two yeah, I didn't really think about it. It just happened, really. Like mm. when I was younger, I used to um, write like love songs and quite what I thought were serious songs, like especially when I was a teenager, and it, they were really angsty, serious songs. And then when I was at college, I still hadn't. I remember writing a few kind of comedy songs when I was younger, but it wasn't. I think I wanted to be in bands and be 
quite quite a serious mm. songwriter. And then when I was at college, I was living with a French guy um, and I was going in for the songwriting competition at drama school and I had a song and we decided at the last minute I should do it in a, in a French accent. And it wasn't really supposed to be a funny song. It was lighthearted, but I, it wasn't really supposed to be a comedy song. And then I, so I did it in this, well, the best French accent I can do, which actually isn't very good. And it got laughs. And that was the first time I'd got laughs from something I'd written and it was such an amazing feeling. So then it, so it kind of came about organically, but I didn't used to really watch comedy music or anything. It was mm. just something that happened kind of on the spur of the moment that I, and then I found I really loved, just loved that feeling of performing something that I'd written and it getting laughs. I'd like to dedicate this song to all my friends. All of my friends are moving to the countryside to push out kids called Arthur and Sourdough and Mindfulness <laughs> who wear cardigans woven from dandelion. I don't know what nettle tea recipes they expect to find But the countryside is not devoid of the first syllable of countryside Pluralised Particularly recently it seems that musical comedy has gained such a surge in popularity with, with your Bo Burnhams and Tim Minchin and people like that as well Yeah and there's a really good um, double act called Flo and Joan who great i want to see those live i watch their stuff online and they're brilliant mm -hmm. um but yeah absolutely like it's good but i think generally there are so many more comics like when i started in 2002 properly there really weren't that many the internet wasn't really that big so you had to go through time out and like ring people and be like can i come and do five minutes sometimes email them but it was often ringing and i used to have like a folder with like the alphabet in it and an a4 page for each promoter we weren't getting paid at that point of course and just have like rung him on the 8th of april he didn't get back to me then i'd ring two weeks later and try and get these spots and there were hardly any of us doing it really you used to bump into the same people at every gig and i think now when i go to edinburgh the amount of shows is is unbelievable and um, so i think it's probably a little bit harder to start now than it was when i started because there's so many more people and when you did start, was it a lot more male dominated in the comedy scene? Um, well, it's hard to say because I don't ever go to, the only way I'd be able to tell is if I went to open mic gigs now and looked at the ratio and I don't mm. just, well, obviously there's, we're still kind of in the pandemic, but also now I've got two young kids, I'll hardly ever go out in the evenings. Mm. I reckon it's pro probably more women doing it now. I mean, but there were always a really good core group of us uh, girls when I started like, Josie Long, Danielle Ward, and um, some people who have fallen away now who've just gone on to other things who did it for a few years and then for whatever reason it didn't work out. But to be honest, I never really felt different because of being a girl. We were just all so obsessed with getting our jokes right. Yeah. Um, and uh, made a lot of friends quite early on. Have you ever been heckled at a gig? And if so, what was the, the worst one you've had? Yeah, I mean, if you can find me a comic who hasn't been heckled at a gig, they're doing gigs in their own bedroom to yeah. no one. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. I mean, like, God, you can't even count. Um, but sometimes heckling can be kind of fun. Like you can invite it, but often it's unwanted and really not useful. So when you start out and you get heckled, it's just petrifying because you're just 
you can't believe you're on stage. You're just saying anything that comes out of your mouth. You're just like, when am I going to get the next laugh? And then as time goes on and you're perhaps doing your own show for an hour or something, it's extremely irritating because it's just disrupting the show for people. And you've kind of structured a whole hour often with a long story in it. And if people heckle, all it does is kind of take you out of the storytelling to have to address it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've actually, just, if it's very unusual now to get heckled if you're on a tour show, for me anyway, perhaps in massive rooms where there's lots and lots of drunk people, it, it might be more common. But if someone was to heckle me now in an hour long show, I just would probably get them removed because yeah. it's like um just not it's not um useful for me to kind of get into a conversation with them because i tend to do like long storytelling shows but definitely with club gigs um it can be horrendous and um normally it's either one lone wolf who's kind of either really drunk or perhaps wanting to get involved a bit you kind of have to make a decision as to how to deal with it at the time it's not that common to get really horrible heckles for me it probably mm-hmm. is on some circuits unfortunately but um the worst one i ever had was like i've had some really but like at unis at loughborough university used to always be quite hard mm-hmm. for some reason i think everyone's got like a place that they don't um do well at and for me yeah. it was loughborough yeah. university <laughs> i think it's quite a sporty university and i was always doing quite like surreal stuff at that time and they didn't generally like it but like there I got like a guy pushed me off stage, pulled a moony at the wow. audience, grabbed the mic. So um, I've had a guy grab my boob, which was horrible. Um, at, that was at, um, I can't remember which university it was, but in London, that was like one of the worst things that happened because yeah. no one did yeah. anything. Mm. So I'd got him onto the stage and then he just did that because he was really drunk mm. and then no one intervened. And yeah, that was, that was horrible. Um, I've been paid to get off in Edinburgh. I got paid 20 quid to leave the stage because <laughs> it was going so badly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. But actually, but... no one really makes money in Edinburgh apart from those... Ma- like, if Ricky Gervais does, like, Edinburgh Castle, yeah. he makes money. But generally, everyone loses thousands of pounds because it's like a trade fair. So was, my logic was, oh, well, at least, like, I'm losing less money if I get paid 20 quid to leave. It was a win. It was a win. <laughs> yeah. What people don't realise with these hecklers, though, is that, you know, the whole audience is on the comedian's side. They're not on the heckler's side. So Yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think when I got paid to leave, that was, I was having a really hard gig. So the audience were divided. And it was quite interesting, actually, looking back. So I think some of them wanted to give me a chance. But that gig was always wrong for me. It was like a package show late at night in Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. And I was doing... I wasn't quite ready to do it. And I was doing stuff about squirrels and things and they just didn't want that. And they were often quite drunk. But I think half of the room felt like they wanted to give me a chance and a few of them did like me and were laughing. And then half of the room kind of really hated me. Mm-hmm. So that was that was quite um, kind of, it felt like a battle. It felt quite, had like loads of adrenaline going around my body and stuff. And then this guy was just like, I hate you so much, I'll pay you to get off. Whereas, yeah, normally I think you're right, especially if it's a short set. If you're doing like 10 or 20 minutes, you can die for whatever reason. Sometimes it just doesn't go well. Sometimes it's that you're not ready to do the the gig or you're just not quite good enough as a comic, but you need to keep gigging. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just can't put your finger on why, but it just doesn't go your way. And then either the audience is completely silent, which is weird and hard, and then the atmosphere in the room really changes. It kind of almost thins. 
and your mouth goes really dry and the words sound really alien to you and then that's when it can get tricky if someone starts heckling then it feels like a natural progression from the silence to someone going almost going like what's happening we're supposed to be laughing and we're not but also you're thinking yeah you're supposed to be laughing and you're not what what is happening so yeah i'll never cease to be really fascinated by the way stand-up works because you just never know what's going to happen I think it's the unknown like you can know your set inside out and have done that material hundreds of times but you you do don't ever know what's going to go on in the room Mm -hmm. and does that give you some sort of anxiety do you ever get like very very nervous whilst on stage or before you go out to perform um not now really because i can't believe this but i've been doing it for 19 years which seems insane but i have um so I'd say that normally now I just quite look forward to a nor- to a normal gig. And by that, I mean like a gig where you just go on and do like a set with other comics. I'd get nervous about writing a new hour long show because I haven't done that since 2016 was the last time that I did an hour. So when you do previews, I find that quite nerve wracking because you're kind of going on with an hour of new stuff and hoping it works. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I will get nervous if I'm doing stand up on telly or I did a really big gig in lockdown and it was outside and they were all sat in bubbles and it was I got really really nervous because I hadn't been on stage for years because I'd had um, a couple of kids yeah. and I yeah I had that moment of being like oh, what am I doing and I was like just breathe just get through it and yeah it was fine it went well yeah yeah it went as well as it could with it was I think people sitting in bubbles is never good because yeah. the audiences need to be packed together it that's I think you're not just laughing because you find it funny. You're laughing because people next to you are laughing. Yes, definitely. The more separated out. Yeah. yeah. I think it's not it's not conducive to a good uh, comedy atmosphere to have people in bubbles. But, you know, it was better than nothing, definitely. Yeah. And did you do anything, like any live streamed gigs or anything like that? Yeah, I did quite a few of those. And they were really hard to get used to. The worst ones were where the chat was open so you could see people down the right hand side <laughs> so like you'd be doing your set and then you'd see people be like oh yeah no I've seen her before she's she's not great tonight let's go, let's go and get a drink like it's like oh my god I, it's like being able to see inside the audience's brains while they're watching you um, but generally I didn't mind them like the weirdest ones was where so I liked the ones where you could see like a front row as it were so they'd kind of paid to sit on the front row I don't really understand how it worked but they were visible to you and they were often big laughers and fans of comedy so that's great the hardest ones were where you could just see your own face really big um yeah (laughs) it was just yeah Um, I'm so happy to be awake because I've recently had a baby um (laughs) yes I had the baby out of wedlock screw you society (laughs) and when I say society I mean mum I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really happy to be settled down because I've always been quite unlucky in love. I've done a lot of crazy things to try and make people fall in love with me and crazy things in the name of love. Uh, I've written love songs like this. Jack, 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 Jack March. Jack March! Jack, I really love your blonde hair. It's enough to make people stare. Jack, I really hate it when you give me a glare. Why can't we be a pair? Jack, 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 Jack March. Jack March! Jack, I really love your lovely mouth. I wonder, is it facing north or south? It would be sweet if it was facing south. Even better if it was facing my mouth. Um, I wrote that when I was 13. 
moving on to talk about your new book, which is really exciting. So did you start writing this story whilst in lockdown or was no, it? No, I've been writing it for probably about three years. So um, the first draft went in just before lockdown, which I think was really lucky because I got my notes from my editor in lockdown and it was like quite hard at first to action them because it was quite early on and we were all in a bit of shock really weren't we it seemed really odd to be writing about people just going to the pub and the main character works in a bookshop and I was like wow people could just walk into bookshops and look at books it seemed very alien as a concept um I know people who have written lots and lots in lockdown and I I quite admire that because I think I felt very lucky to be doing more technical stuff once lockdown hit i.e the original draft was done and then it was easier. There were big changes from the first draft, but it felt like tweaking rather than having to create that first draft, you know, in those circumstances. Yeah. And for those that don't know, what's the story about? Who is Jane in Jane? Um, Jane Wild Goose is a woman who works in advertising in London. She's engaged and they're trying for a baby. Um, She's quite an anxious person, but it's kind of part of her personality there is her anxiety kind of running through the book like a spine, I suppose, but it doesn't really define her. She has a lot of fun and she's quite spontaneous, but she just gets quite frustrated by it, I suppose. Um, and then she finds out that her boyfriend's been che- her fiance's been cheating on her. So her parents kind of scoop her up and take her back to her sleepy hometown in the Midlands. And there they really mean well, but they're kind of quite controlling in their own ways and they everyone tries to tell her what to do and then lots of things happen to her once she gets back that she kind of has to make a decision as to whether she wants to keep leaning on people which is what she's done all her life or kind of stand on her own two feet I guess. Jane seems like quite the perfectionist would you say that you're similar do you have do you share that trait with the character or? To an extent like I was, th- I was thinking <laughs> uh, I'm recording this in my daughter's bedroom and it's so so messy and it's really interesting like I'm quite untidy in some ways but I quite like yeah I'm like so there are some similarities between me and Jane but some differences so I think I'm a bit of a warrior I think I'm a bit of a hypochondriac I'm so much better than I used to be but in the past if I was like doing too much or stressed I'd like be thinking something's going to go wrong I'd get like a headache for two days and I'd just google it and then convince myself that I had um an illness and stuff Mm -hmm. um and that's got a lot better since I've sort of calm down a bit in how much I work because when I first had kids I just carried on working the same amount and looking after them and stuff and yeah kind of crashed a bit really so I wanted to write about that kind of health worrying um in a light-hearted way although there are quite serious moments in it I suppose but um I think sometimes it can be quite funny and you kind of sometimes got to laugh at it because it can be quite intrusive and then there are things that Jane is that I am not she's got this big fear of hospitals which is a kind of extension of not wanting to lose control I suppose mm-hmm. and I I don't have that I quite like hospitals um so yeah I wanted to put her in as precarious a position as possible for the for the story really mm-hmm. but also make her quite a rounded character mm-hmm. and she's also quite snobby when she first gets back and I don't think I'm like that but when she first gets back to Foley, her hometown, she's like, I don't want to see these people from school. I don't want, you know, I'm not going to be here for very long. And she's quite dismissive of people. And it was really fun to write the things, the elements of her that are different from me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds lovely. Have you managed to get out and do any book signings or talks about the book? Yeah, I've done a few and I'm going up to North London on Thursday to go round lots of bookshops up there, which will be really fun because I never really go up across the river. Um, and yeah, I'm going to Edinburgh to do a book festival there. And I've been to Cornwall and I've got a few more. And it seems to be like things are happening a bit more now, which is really good. Um, it's not the same as this is my second book. And with the first book, I remember it definitely being easier to go and do festivals and to but some things are still happening virtually, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's the way it is. Yeah, sadly, it's the way it is. Um, yeah. Could there possibly be more fiction books on the way from Izzy City? Or? I think so. Like, I I didn't know if I'd, I wa- really wanted to write a novel and I thought, will I like it? And I, I loved it. I really did. It wasn't easy a, a lot of the time, but I... I loved creating a whole world and really working on it. And I felt like the characters were alive at points. It was odd. It was, yeah, felt very kind of um, like it almost gave me energy when it started to become a thing. And I haven't had that before with anything I've written, really. The first book was memoirs and it was really fun to write. But I sometimes got got frustrated because I wanted to put real people in it. And then I was worried that they were going to read it and kind of be like, oh, no, did I do that? So (laughs) the really great thing about writing fiction was that I could actually put people I know in it, but I could just disguise them and then (laughs) mix them up with a few different other people. So um, I really loved the freedom. Once I'd thought of an idea, it was hard thinking of an initial idea, I suppose, but I always had Jane in mind as a character then. It was a question of like, what happens to her? And then once I'd got that structure, I, I I really loved then pushing, kind of pushing against the boundaries that I'd created. Izzy, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. No worries. It's been a pleasure.